someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short chew. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my booze closet in Tokyo, Japan. And with me, beaming in from Fukuoka, Japan, is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and aomori professionals, published authors, and we both prefer our rice in liquid form. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade, and we are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing well, as always. As some of you may know, we've pre recorded quite a few of these episodes, and we actually haven't recorded in almost two months. So it's really nice to be back in the studio. Yeah, we took a bit of a hiatus because we got so rambunctious with our, with our recording schedule. It was really good. We were banging out maybe two episodes per week. But then I, um, <laughs> I have to admit, I ran away to Okinawa for a month because I was scared of the pollen. I get have really bad hay fever allergies. And down in the subtropics, you don't have to deal with that quite so much. Or at least the allergens differ down there. And it didn't bother me to the same extent. Sure. But now I'm back in Tokyo and we're ready to go, I suppose. Yeah. And that's actually a completely reasonable reason uh, to to pause. You didn't want to carry all your equipment down there and try to create a new studio in a, in a rental apartment, I'm sure. And I may sound a little bit different because I think I may have a little bit of allergy, something going on the last few days. I've been feeling a little bit not myself and it's the feeling I normally associate with allergies. It's no fever. There's no COVID-like symptoms. I've actually already had my vaccination. So I, I'm pretty sure it's just some sort of pollen down here that's that's getting to me. Well, maybe the solution is to just uh, drink more shochu. Um, and today, on that note, we're going to launch another series of episodes on Japanese spirits. And you may recall that I think it was episodes five through eight were Japanese whiskey. That was our that was four episodes. It was supposed to be three. It turned into four episodes about Japanese whiskey. And then we moved on to episodes 9, 10, 11, which were intended to clear up any misconceptions out there about authentic honkaku shochu and specifically how it differs from other drinks such as Japanese sake, Korean soju, and other spirits that are actually labeled as shochu in Japan, but aren't really. And that's probably, you know, if you haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes, then it might be good to go back and listen to those soon. I don't know. What do you think? Should they listen to them first? I think those last three episodes will really only set context for today's episode, but aren't strictly required listening. So they could probably finish listening to this one and then go back at their leisure. That would be my sense. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that that's fair. All right. So, if you do re enjoy the show, and I always got to put this in here, download and subscribe, please, to the Japan Distilled podcast on your preferred podcast app. Or, of course, you can go straight to our website, japandistilled.com. And as always, reviews, 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 especially good ones. And you can't see right now, but I have both of my hands clenched in front of my face, uh, almost like I'm I'm pleading. Uh, those are very much appreciated and, of course, are incredibly, incredibly helpful in helping others to find this show. And we love hearing from people. So the more the merrier, as far as we're concerned. Oh, no question. 
when we first started down this path, you know, it was always nice to get nice text messages or emails from friends, you know, people that we already know who started listening to the show and were enjoying it. But it's really once strangers started popping up in direct messages on Twitter or Instagram, that's really satisfying. That's a, that's a wonderful feeling because we really do this because we love these drinks so much and we want to share it with it with others. And so just so glad that there are people out there that are embracing this, want to learn about these drinks as well, and seem to be as interested as, as we are. And so that's just uh, really great feedback. So keep those direct messages coming. Again, the reviews are always wonderful. Anything you can do to let us know that we're not just shouting into the void uh, is very much appreciated. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter too. We love to get into discussions on there, especially about Honkak Shochu. And we're going to start a new series today about Honkak Shochu. And we're going to focus on rice shochu first. I think this is a good starting point. What do you think? Yeah. We struggled a lot in deciding what order to go. Because if we went by the most popular in Japan, that's sweet potato. Right. That's nearly half of the, of the sales domestically, sweet potato shochu. It's the most brands, it's the most distilleries. But if we are appealing to a Western audience, barley shochu is actually more popular overseas, right? So there'll be a case made for going with barley first. But rice is probably what the first shochu was made from. And this is where I put on my history hat. Go for it. Right? I, I studied history in college and I just, I wanted to talk about the historical context again, which I know we've done in earlier episodes, but I think it's important to recognize that Early alcohol traditions in Japan were rice-based, and shochu was no exception. But we did leave out awamori. We did. And that's for a reason, which we will get into in a future episode about awamori. Yeah, there will be, of course, at least one episode, probably several, about the amazing drinks made from rice in Okinawa Prefecture. And they deserve their own their own time, their own love, their own shine. And we will definitely get there. Please, please just give us a month or two. Sure. Uh, episode three actually was our Awamori 101. So if you are curious about Awamori, go back and listen to that. But there are so many other aspects to those drinks that we want to talk about. And Christopher, having just spent a month in Okinawa, has a newfound appreciation for a drink he already loved. And we're really excited to talk about that in the future. But I really didn't want to conflate awamori and rice shochu for this episode. And I thought, since there's all the different styles of shochu, we needed to start running through those. But we will definitely get to awamori in the future. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about rice from kind of a... Let's go macro on this a little bit. What are the different types of rice that are used to make alcohol in Japan. There's a lot of famous types and probably the most famous being Yamada Nishiki. Um, you know, Hyogo Prefecture is a big part of the production for that. That's well over 70% of production is from there. Then you have Goku. you've got Omachi and what? Miyama Nishiki and all of these beautiful rice varietals mm -hmm. that are from all made all over Japan. And the the thing you need to understand is that not all of these are used very often in making rice shochu. Um, there are, of course, some sh rice shochu made with Yamada Nishiki, but it's pretty rare to see that happen. And you're going to pay for it, obviously. In the shochu world, 
it's important to remember a couple of other variables. One of them happens to be the difference between indica rice and japonica rice, or what is sometimes called taimai and then Japanese rice. Taimai is kind of like jasmine rice, I guess. It's longer, longer grain. It's not grown in Japan. It tends to be imported, but it is used quite a bit in the shochu industry and right alongside Japanese rice. Another thing to think about, and this creates a pretty clear distinction between sake rice or sake production and shochu production, is the amount of polishing that goes into it. And when you compare the two side by side, shochu polishing rates are not nearly as intense as those in sake. What I mean by that is there's less polishing, there's less rice polishing. It's very common to see polishing rates in the 80s and 90s. You get a lot more rice grain to work with. Mm -hmm. That's an important distinction. That's an important thing to realize that in shochu production, all of the proteins, lipids, the, the the things outside of the shinpaku, I'm speaking to those people who are really nerdy about rice now and those people who know a lot about sake, all of those extra things are actually desirable in shochu production. They, they lend a lot of character that the shochu makers are trying to capture. And, of course, they also lead to potentially uh, a bit more alcohol production. And what, what else should I mention here? So I've mentioned varieties. I've mentioned the the different major families of rice. And I guess I also should talk about uh, the growing regions. Well, as I said, rice is made throughout most of Japan, although the further, further south you go, honestly, in Kyushu and down into Okinawa, the more challenging it becomes. But throughout the rest of Japan, you've got pretty much a, a, a good growing uh, good, good soil and good climate for rice cultivation. Yeah, that was a really nice summary of the role of rice in alcohol production in Japan. And we've talked about sake before, so we don't really have to dwell on that. But I think um, to set context for people living here in Japan, if I get on my bicycle and I ride, I live in, a, in central Fukuoka, if I'm riding 15 minutes due west of here, I start to get into these communities where you have essentially suburban residential neighborhoods that do have rice paddies in between houses sometimes. And that's just how pervasive rice is in Japan. These fields are everywhere. There is a lot of rice produced here. I think it makes sense that rice shochu would be a style. And as I mentioned earlier, the historical context is our belief is that the first shochu was probably distilled sake. Now, Christopher mentioned the polishing ratios and that sort of thing, and that's what denotes premium sake today, right? Really refined, clean, light styles with really interesting yeast character and all sorts of things like that. Right. But that's a very recent invention. Rice polishing technology was not at the level that it is today, 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago, and particularly not 500 years ago in Kyushu, when shochu production began, mm -hmm. once the distillation technology arrived. They were probably making fermentations from food-grade polished rice, which is not very polished, what, 85 90%, as Christopher said. I could imagine that long ago, the rice was even less refined. So 
And I think that's part of why some shochu makers even today try to use less polished rice to get a richer expression, which would be considered more traditional. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't know for sure that the first distillates made in Japan on the main islands, excluding Okinawa, which was an independent country at the time. But we don't know for sure that it was rice because the farmers and the fishermen who were doing this illicit distilling in Kyushu, they were illiterate. They didn't write anything down. And we do know that they were eating millet and other grains. So it's possible that they had learned how to make alcohol from those grains. And that's what they distilled uh, in these early experiments. But very likely rice was a very, very early uh, entry into the shochu world in Japan. And I think for the sake of argument, we can just say that it was the first style of shochu that people uh, were aware of since yeah. sweet potatoes didn't even exist in Japan at that time. So we know it wasn't sweet potato. Sure. But other grains, certainly it could have been. So, and again, yeah, all of this is for the koji fermentation, right? You need the koji mold to break those starches and the grains into sugars for the yeast to do its job. And that's really where shochu gets its start in that koji fermentation process. Mm -hmm. In rice shochu, which is made all over the country, but predominantly in Kyushu and predominantly in Kumamoto Prefecture, although other prefectures around Kyushu do make it, white koji is predominant. Most rice shochu is made with white koji. There are a handful of black koji expressions. They're pretty rare. Yeah relative to the number of white and even yellow because sake is usually made with yellow koji. There are quite a few rice shochus made with yellow koji mm -hmm. uh, to try to get that sake expression almost. The other thing that probably contextually most rice shochu, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm, I, I'm very happy to plant my flag on this one is that most rice shochu is vacuum distilled, not, uh, atmospheric distilled. Again, single pot distillation, but when you put on a vacuum, uh, you get much lighter, cleaner aromas. And I think that's why the white koji is preferred because it gives you just such a clean spirit with really nice light aromas from the rice. And that's what most rice shochu is. Now, atmospheric distillation does exist, although it's quite rare by volume. There are very few high volume atmospheric distilled rice shochus, which is the polar opposite of sweet potato, where most high volume sweet potato shochu is atmospheric distilled. Right. Right. So, but the, the atmospheric distilled rice shochus are flavor bombs. They are umami bombs. They have so much character. They've got so much going on. And I remember the first time I came to Japan and was able to taste one because there was none imported to the States at that time. Right. Right. All of the rice shochus I'd ever tasted when I was living in New York were vacuum distilled until my first trip to Kyushu. Oh, sure. And the first time I tasted <laughs> an atmospheric distilled rice shochu, mind blown. It was such a different experience. Yeah. From the same base ingredient. Yeah. Right. And essentially the only difference is what kind of still they used. And, you know, even up here in Tokyo, we don't get a whole lot of the atmospheric stuff. Mm -hmm. we, we get some of the same vacuum distilled rice shochu that is available overseas which is fine it, it's good but you're right it, it is a totally different ball game yeah no question no question and then the other aspect just to finish up on the production methods uh, uh, aging also happens in rice shochu and uh, 
cask aging, ceramic pot aging, and then of course the the standard again is the enamel line stainless tanks. Uh, but most rice shochu again is sold young. There isn't a lo- lot of aging, but it does exist. So those styles exist. You can find them, and we'll talk about some brands later. But the most of it's sold, especially the vacuum distilled stuff, is probably in a bottle. What three to six months after distillation? It's pretty young. Yes. Why don't you walk us through the? I mean, Kumamoto is where most of it's made. So, sure. If you don't mind, kind of walking us through that, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, some people out there will already be familiar with the fact that Honkaku Shochu has three different GIs or geographic indications. These are WTO protected. They're they're like intellectual property rights, essentially. It's the goods can only be made in this region in a specific way in order to carry this this moniker that is protected. And one of those is Kuma Shochu. Kuma is K-U-M-A. Kuma refers to the Kuma region and the Kuma River Basin. And the main city in that area is called Hitoyoshi. If you ever have a chance to visit, it's absolutely lovely. Uh, They make the lion's share of rice shochu in Japan, at least honkaku rice shochu. And they are protected as kuma shochu. Kuma shochu has to be made with rice, of course. It has to be made with water from the underground wells below the Kuma River, which is one of the three fastest rivers, uh, fastest flowing rivers in Japan. And there's no restriction on koji type per se, unlike another rice-based spirit from Japan, awamori. And there's also no restriction on the, the type of koji preparation, meaning you can have two different steps. You could have three different steps of ko- koji. The koji making process can be split up a little bit more like sake than like awamori, for that matter. But kuma shochu is one of Japan's proudest shochu traditions. And it's, uh, as Stephen said before, it is split up into a couple of camps. You have the lighter vacuum distilled product, and then you have the more complex, deeper atmospheric distilled stuff. I think we'll get to a few of those brands later. But yeah, Hitoyoshi is a magical place. Um, Haven't been for a while. And I don't think you have either, Stephen, right? I haven't since before they had the big flood last year. Right. That That was the really, really devastating flood that came through and basically washed out downtown Hitoyoshi, the Hitoyoshi Ryokan, which is where I've stayed every time I've gone to Hitoyoshi, save one, was flooded up to, just up to the top step of the steps leading to the second floor. So the entire ground floor was flooded out. And this is a beautiful Ryokan. No idea if they're going to be able to rebuild. Uh, Really, really sad to see that uh, on the news. And you know, uh, there was a shochu maker washed away. Yeah, basically. Right? Not not the person. No, thankfully. Uh, thank God. He he was fine. We actually uh, spoke with him and, and heard the story of how he basically just kind of stood there and watches his, watched his tanks wash away. Yeah. You're powerless. Nothing he could do. So, um, yeah, that was... I haven't been there. I haven't been back since. They were asking people not to come because between coronavirus and the floods, they were just in no position to have visitors. You know, you and I both wanted to jump on a plane and yeah, uh, at least, well, a train for me, go help out. But they were like, yeah, we really can't support any infrastructure right now. So please stay away. Yeah. Nobody from out of the, outside the prefecture, just by coronavirus protocols, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I haven't been in a while. I really love the region. Uh, lovely people, fantastic food. The river is gorgeous. Last year I was able to, was it last year or the year before? I was able to cycle from Kumamoto City uh, straight down to Hitoyoshi. It was a long ride, but the river ride itself was gorgeous. That was a really, really pleasant ride. It was a beautiful sunny day. Um, and it is a swift flowing river, but it's also just a beautiful, really deep creviced mountain valley. You've got a train running on one side. You've got a two lane road running on the other side. And, uh, yeah, really enjoyed that, that trip for sure. Yeah. And Hitoyoshi is basically the, or the Kuma basin is, is really the farthest south in Kyushu you can go and still harvest really high quality rice it is a basin it's a mountain basin so it's up pretty high nice warm days much of the year really chilly or cool uh, very temperate nights and that temperature fluctuation apparently is ideal for many types of rice so up in the basin there's a ton of rice production but further south you know just over the the mountains into kagoshima and then rice production pretty much disappears and you get into sweet potatoes and tea that's right and it's a but it is a it's a lovely little secret city that's hidden up there in the mountains and something like 17 tunnels to get there it's ridiculously uh you know ensconced at in the at the you know the foot of these mountains that ring it it's a very cool enchanted place it is the the train ride in is is lovely uh seasonally there's a uh coal powered train that you can take okay. uh, to get to get to Hitoyoshi. I think it only runs weekends, about five or six months a year. I've never been able to take it, uh, but that would be fun to do sometime. And yeah, it's it's it, it is a lovely place. the The Kuma dialect actually grew up out of uh, wanting to hide from the tax man right. because rice was the taxable commodity back in the day. You know, back in the Edo era, and the locals didn't want to give their rice to the tax man. So mm. they would have illicit rice patties up in the mountains, up in the forest, you know, hidden hidden little groves and things where they'd plant their rice. And they developed their dialect in order to be able to talk about it without the tax man or any outsiders who happened to come to town hearing about what they were up to. Mm. And I think that's how a lot of the dialects around Japan actually popped up. Yeah, a lot of the pronunciations of the the names of towns and villages and districts are completely wonky down there. Uh, and anybody who any, and I'm not just speaking from, from my perspective, you talked about fishermen and, and farmers being illiterate and not being able to read kanji. Well, damn kanji's hard, man. I don't, let's not, <laughs> let's not, uh, let's cut them some slack, but no, I mean, even native speakers of the Japanese language, will go down south and mispronounce things if they if they don't have any help and i think it kind of evolved out of that wanting to figure out how who the import people who are the who are the strangers who are the people who d- didn't grow up here um because they would just naturally mispronounce things sure sure yeah let's uh, let's go i talked about the styles before let's put some names to those styles and predominantly we're talking about well, it is almost all vacuum distilled brands that are available internationally. Of course, there's Hakutake Shiro, S H I R O. Shiro is the best selling rice shochu in Japan. It's like half half the market, isn't it? I think last, it is. Last it's data huge. I've seen. Yeah, it's in every convenience store. 
every grocery store. Yep. Yeah. So it's very well known and it's a very good starting point for someone who's trying to figure out rice shochu. It's easy to sip straight. I recommend it on the rocks or with some bubbles. Mm. It's it's nice. It's easy. Other ones that are have a, a lot of kind of that ginjo quality that comes from the high quality rice and the fermentation temperature. You can count kawabe from Sengetsu in there. Sengetsu mm. makes some amazing products. Torikai which is just absolutely an aroma, aroma, what, labyrinth? It's so interesting on the nose. And you've got Toyonaga, which is a great, great shochu, the one in the, the green bottle that's available in some places. I think they changed your label to brown. Uh, sorry, the bottle, the glass turned brown. They went brown on that one. Okay, Apparently, I'm thinking about the Japanese domestic market bottle. Yeah, it, it was green for a long time, and then it, it suddenly switched, and I loved that green bottle, adored that green bottle. And apparently, green glass became very hard to get in Japan, and so they they switched to brown. And if I can just go back to Torikai for a minute. Yeah. That is, it's it really, it, it's actually a ginjo shochu, right? It's, they, they make a 45-day low-temperature fermentation with ginjo polishing-level sake rice. It's Yamada Nishiki, right? I believe. And they, it's a 45-day fermentation. Most shochu is about 20 days, mm -hmm. right? And then it is just this, it, it's, it's like, it's anise. It's like that ginjo yeast aroma. And then on the palate, it goes from that very quick, sharp bite at the beginning into this just umami. It's like there's no, nothing there except umami. And it's then, and then so the... The, the aromatic comes back at the very end of the sip. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful drink. So elegant. Really love yeah. that one. Yeah. And then those are, those are all vacuum. Yeah, those are all vacuum. And then there's the Hakutake Shiro, but then they have uh, Ginne, which is a sake yeast expression. Okay, yeah. And, and then they also have, was it Kinjo? If I think that's what it's called. It's, it's yeah, a, I, that's a barrel right. aged from Hakutake. That's another Shiro. There's a gold label, a silver label, and then the white label, which is the standard. And then Sengetsu also has the barrel-aged expression Mugon. Right, right. Right, which is a 40% alcohol barrel-aged uh, shochu. I forgot about that. Really, really nice. Now, I almost hesitate to bring it up, but okay. Oishi and Fukano are shochu makers. Oh, right. <laughs> Doing a lot of cask aging. Yeah. And some of their products end up labeled rice whiskey in the States. Well, because it's it's way too it's spent way too much time in a cask, right? It's sure, too dark. Sure. It's got too much going on for it to be considered a shochu in Japan. Yeah. Now, when I visited Fukano, they've never shown me that part of the operation, so I don't know if it's double distilled or if it's single distilled. Do you know? I imagine it's single distilled. I would think it is, but that'd be an interesting question next time. Who knows? We visit. Yeah, we, maybe we'll need to ask. Um, yeah, let's let's not get into that. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> controversy right now, but uh, Fair enough. how about how about other parts of Japan in terms of the rice shochu that's being made? Yeah, um, so not even leaving Kumamoto, you've got Amakusa, right? Okay, which their their story is quite interesting. They were a sweet potato shochu maker on Amakusa Island, which is off the coast of Kumamoto in the in the bay between Kumamoto and I guess Nagasaki, right? Yeah. And well, and then also I guess northern Kagoshima too. Yeah. And they 
uh, were making sweet potato shochu. And then when Hakutake Shiro was released, all the locals started drinking Shiro and stopped buying <laughs> Amakusa. Damn it. <laughs> so Amakusa switched. They're like, all right, we're going to do this. They switched. They started making a vacuum distilled rice shochu as their main product. And it saved the company. All the locals wanted to drink the local product named after the island. Right. So, of course, they went back. They went right back to it and took that business back away from Hakutake. But they were a little bit sad about that. And they actually ended up building a second distillery to start making sweet potato again about 10 years ago. Yeah. And their Ikenotsu products, which we can talk about later, are absolutely lovely. Sure. That's, that's for another episode, for sure. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, outside of Kyushu, you've got Hakai-san, the really well-respected sake maker up in Niigata mm-hmm. has, I believe, several rice shochu expressions beyond just their their sake lees expression, right? So, they, they ah. actually are making some rice shochu up that way. I believe I tried some when I was in, not not from Hakai-san, but some other rice shochu. Unfortunately, I'm not remembering the names, but when I was up in Hokkaido. So, there are other places around the country where rice shochu is being made. Right, right, right. Uh, anywhere yeah. else? Are yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of Miyazaki, right? Mm. Um, I, there's oh, great a, point. there's a great place up in Northern Miyazaki that makes only one brand and, uh, Akatsuki, which is a really super deep and rich one. That one's pretty good. Then you've got like, uh, Kuroki Honten. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. They make, um, uh, Yamasemi. Yamasemi. Then you've right. got, uh, Furusawa makes mm-hmm. Motoko and Wells. And then you've, I mean, there are a lot of makers that make maybe one or two rice shochu. Sure. But it's not a very large scale production like in Kumamoto. Yeah, I guess you got mellowed kuzuru as well, right? Down in. Oh, right. Yeah, good call. Very good call. Kumasa in Kagoshima, which. Barrel aged. Barrel aged. They claim to be the first barrel aged rice shochu, and they may not be wrong about that. I think they're probably right. Without them. You know, we wouldn't have had... They were really the pioneers in the whole barrel-aging shochu, mm-hmm. full stop. Sure. One other barrel-aged style, which I haven't seen it in a long time in the States, but I know it used to be available, was Naka Naka Nai, which is really interesting. It comes in a cute little ceramic pot. Right. And it's actually aged in cedar casks rather than oak. So, really, really different expression. And it only spends a few weeks in cedar because cedar is such an aromatic wood. Uh, yeah. But I haven't seen it in a while. I, I think the last bottle I had, I actually uh, gave to our friend of friend of the podcast, Bill Gunter. But okay, yeah, nice. Uh, that's a that's an interesting drink as well. Mm. So if if you had to pick, this is really unfair, but I'm going to ask <laughs> a question anyway. If you had to pick your favorite rice shochu, can you pick one? Yeah, I mean, or or it doesn't have to be a brand, but you know, well. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the atmospheric distilled rice shochus because basically everything we talked about so far, well, uh-huh. a, f- a couple of them, I guess we didn't mention specifically, but they were atmospheric. But Yeah, Motoko is atmospheric, sure. Yeah, and uh, I believe uh, Yamasemi as well, although it's a very light example of an atmospheric distilled rice shochu, very clean. Um, I guess, you know, still every time I try it, I cannot believe how good it is is Toyonaga's Jiga then. Oh, that's so good. It is. It's a... The, the, the meaning of the brand is literally like made it by yourself or you're doing your own work sort of thing. It's like your own bootstraps, essentially. Like self-sufficiency. That's right. And what it is, is they grow rice with the help of the local community in the fields behind the distillery. Like 
you're standing on the distillery property at the edge of a rice field and that's their own field and it's it's all organic rice planted and harvested by the distillery staff and their neighbors and then it, and then it's uh it's not filtered i mean the filtering is probably like dragging a cloth over the top of the liquid just to scrape off the oils and any or maybe they use saran wrap or something yeah. just to yeah, block so it off at the top. It is so rich and deep and long. It's a really, really lovely drink. And there are other rice shochus I drink more often because it's just so hard to find Jiga then. But whenever I get my hands on a bottle and I taste it again, I'm like, oh, that's that's where it's at. It's such a beautiful drink. How about you? Yeah, it's funny because my uh, one of the craft beer places that I go to in in Tokyo. And this is a shout out to Kozo, our friend Kozo. That place has really gotten behind rice shochu. So it's actually also a really good place to go and sip rice shochu, even though it's a beer place. No kidding. And they always have jigaden. So I always get a glass. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Anything that's going to play well, oyuari with hot water, Mm -hmm. that's going to often be an atmospheric distilled rice shochu um of course geez i mean it, it almost doesn't even need to be said because it's so obvious but musha gaishi is amazing with mm. hot water mm. and the brand i said before akatsuki is really good um with hot water yeah, yeah. I, I mean what are, are you are you you drinking one now yeah, I, I actually am. Um, <laughs> you, you caught me. You must have heard me sipping a little bit. I'm glad Rich takes that out of of the audio. When Chris is talking, I can I can have a nip and vice versa. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm drinking in a second. But just going back to Mushagaishi, basically made in the family's house, almost. It's such a small operation, and such beautiful drinks. Really, really special. Um, yeah. So actually, I. I don't actually have a lot of rice shochu at home right now. And, and I think that's because I tend to drink it and it goes down pretty easily. It's it, true. It does, especially the vacuum stuff. And so I think I only have two bottles. I've got a little bit of mushagaishi left and I want to save that for another time. But what I actually broke out was, uh, this is the Japanese only labels and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly. Shira Itsuki or Shiro Itsuki. This is Sengetsu's ceramic. Oh, wow, you have one of those? I have one. 30-year-old ceramic. It comes in a white bottle. Uh, it's got like the, the topper from like a Belgian beer, right? It's got like that latch yeah. system. I don't even know, know what those are called. Really, really beautiful. 35% alcohol. Uh, it was 35. Let's see, it was 30 years old when they bottled this. And unfortunately, they use a stamp, like an internal code. So this was either bottled in 1960 or that doesn't mean what I think it does. Um, I'm sure it wasn't bottled in 1960, but 30 years old when it went in the bottle. And I've had this for three or four years. So, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's got all, all of the minerality you would expect from the clay. It's got some acidity from the oxid, oxidization. Uh, but then it has the richness of what I would guess was a, an atmospheric distillation because this would have, pretty close to predated, not quite, but it was really in the early days of vacuum distillation when this would have been made. So, and I don't remember when Sengetsu installed their, their, uh, vacuum still, but this may have predated it. That's a really lovely drink. Yeah. 
How about you? Did you do you find something to sip on? Yeah, I'm actually drinking. Um, I mentioned it before, Akatsuki. So okay. just because I do really, I enjoy it with hot water. It's one of those really tiny distilleries perched up along the the side of a mountain. They only make the one brand. I think they put it out at two different ABVs, and you know they're they're suffering. I think like many of the makers in in well all across Japan. It's an it's an aging Toji. I think he was so old that his wife might have taken over mm. as the the next Toji. I don't know if there's anybody else in line. So it's yeah, not great. Drink, and, it, drink uh, it while you got it, huh? Yeah, I know. I I do pick it. Try to pick it up when I find it. It's mostly you can only really get it in Miyazaki, or you have to get it online and have it shipped up or shipped to where you, ever you are. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good though. I like it. And I think you introduced me yeah. to it when we were in Miyazaki. I did. We, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely poured you some a couple of times. Yeah. If I, if I see it on a menu, I definitely try it, try it again. Um, cause it is kind of rare, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I, I guess my thought, this is the first time we've done one of these, uh, I guess style specific episodes. So we'd love feedback yeah. from the audience. If you think this is the right amount of information, if there's more information you want about any specific part, of the episode or, and I know we threw a lot of brands at you and I'll try to get them all listed in the show notes, but probably the only ones that really matter are the ones that are available overseas for most of our listeners. And so most of our listeners are overseas. True. Uh, but we'll make sure to put some bottle shots of some of the other domestic brands. So when you can make it back to Japan or coming to Japan for the first time, you'll be able to recognize those bottles on shelves and that sort of thing. But yeah, it would be great to get feedback just because it's the first time we've done one like this. And there's going to be a whole series of these, you know, we're going sweet potato, barley, coke dough, eventually we do soba, sake leaves. Like there's lots of different uh, ingredient specific episodes we're going to be dropping. So it'd be great to get a little bit of feedback. If we threw too much at you, not enough, just the right amount. So yeah, right. good. Okay. Great. Well, good. First, first of the, the show to subcategory specific episodes. I like it. Sure. We're off to a good start, I think. I have a feeling we're going to be coming back periodically to to these drinks in different ways uh, over the years. Oh, yeah. So it's not going to be the last episode on Rice Shochu. Definitely not. Okay. Well, cool. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And if you're interested in learning more about Rice Shochu, you will definitely want to pick up a copy of Stephen's book, which is called The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks. It has a very good overview of shochu in general. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it, and there's a lot of information, both practical and historical, about rice shochu in particular. It's available on Amazon, of course, as well as through, hopefully, your local bookseller. If not, then please bug them to get it. And we'd also like to remind you that we now have our weekly Japan Distilled Show Tuesday Live, which streams on Facebook and YouTube. We have a Japan Distilled channel on both. That's 9 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday. And that means it's 10 a.m. Japan when we're actually recording it live on Wednesday morning. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, how about you? Where can people find you? I think I'm going to simplify this because I usually give you my difficult to spell handle, but just find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. That's me running those accounts. Just reach out. Any questions or feedback about the show? Love to hear from you. As for additional reading, I would also recommend Christopher's new and improved The Shochu Handbook. 
now available exclusively on Amazon. I actually reread your rice shochu sections uh, mm-hmm. to prepare for the show. And it really is interesting how our approaches were quite different and our information really complements each other. So really, I think people should have both books. And of course, if you'd like to see any reviews of specific brands, our site, kampai.us, does have a lot of reviews on export brands. So you may be able to find some of these on there. Thank you very much. All right, Stephen, it was a good one. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Our audio engineering is completely done in his home by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please be sure to check that podcast out as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. And we will be back again in your headphones soon. Until that time, from both of us here in Japan to all of you out there in Japan distilled territory, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. <laughs>